Hi, John Barnes here, and welcome to the How Might We podcast. Okay, so before we get started uh, with this episode of the How Might We podcast, I just want to give some background and kind of lay out my intention for the podcast. Um, so, so firstly, I want to say that this is a series of long-form conversations that I'll be having with other thinkers and experts in different fields, fields that are either literally complex or that we might just have complex relationships with those topics. And my aim is to treat these sometimes difficult conversations as honestly as I can. So I'm going to try to not shy away from taboo, from difficulty and awkwardness. Uh, And I'm going to try to not fall prey to political correctness. But I want to do this with real compassion and humanity towards listeners who might have really strong emotions attached to some of the topics, but also between my guests and I. So I really want to aim to process any differences that my guests and I might have um, with, with the most tolerance and understanding as possible. Finally, with this podcast, my, my real hope, I guess, is to go beyond discussing problems, which I think is a big, big problem of the world today and of itself, uh, and something that we tend, most of us tend to do in our conversations. And I want to enter a dialogue with my guests about some of the possibilities and ideas uh, that we could con- um, consider towards some of these problems. I'm reminded of that term opti-realism, which is coined by Jacques Lecomte, a French positive psychologist. Uh, And it's a term that he uses to describe having an intention that is both optimistic and that it's seeking solutions uh, as a a vehicle for positive change in the world, but doing that utterly realistically, so not in a utopian or idealistic way, but rather grounded in facts and knowledge um, uh, and reality. So I have a few underlying intentions for having these conversations. One of them is is essentially for me to learn, to explore topics that I deeply want to explore, and I want to do that unhindered by the formats of the talks that I frequently give at conferences, companies, or universities. I'd also like to use these conversations as a tool for me to develop my capacity to really listen to guests, which is something I could definitely do with improving in my personal and, and professional life. But more than anything, this podcast is my attempt to go beyond what I see in the world in terms of people moaning about the big problems of the world today. And I'd like to at least go on and explore some of the positive opportunities that we might have in regards to some of these these topics and problems. So I think this is something the world is really missing, and I hope that over the course of, of this podcast we'll be having some amazing discussions with some really smart and wonderful guests on a whole range of topics coming up with with many many opportunities and solutions to make the world a better place So today on the podcast, I'm speaking to my friend Bruno Marion. We're talking about how might we make chaos our friend. Bruno and I had some early audio issues, so I just asked him to record uh, his introduction for you guys. This is what this is how he introduced himself. When I was 36, 
I didn't have any kids. And when you are 36 and, and you have no kids, uh, everything around you, every weekend, every dinner with your friends, is here to remember that you are different. So I started to, to, to wonder uh, what's going to be my legacy? What am I going to leave to this world, to this universe, to my friends' kids if uh, I'm not going to leave my, my DNA? And already at that time, because I traveled uh, a lot, I, I traveled a lot in Asia, I wrote books actually uh, uh, about Asia, I already had uh, uh, an intuition at that time that became fact <laughs> since then. I had this very strong feeling that our world was going through an amazing transition, uh, what, what I call an, an unbelievable mega shift changing everything in, in our lives. So I thought, look, this is going to be your legacy. You, you should travel the world. You should meet the right people. You should read even more books. Now I'm reading like 100 books uh, uh, every year. Find the tools. Find the right lenses so you can explain, so you can share what you understood uh, about this world. So basically, this is how I started to, to, I, to be like a futurist monk, like many people call me, uh, call me now. So a bit more about my guests. Um, Bruno is the world's first speaker on taking advantage of chaos theory. Uh, he's the co-founder of l'Université Intégrale de Paris. He's the author of various books helping Westerners understand Asian culture. Um, he's traveled the world pretty extensively, and he'll tell us a little bit about that. Um, he reads 100 books per year, which is pretty remarkable, and lives in a beautiful, resilient home in the south of France that I've had the chance to visit. And he tells us a bit about, about that beautiful place. He's the author of um, Chaos, a user's guide, which you can, you can download from his website, brunomarion.com. Uh, and, and I certainly found it a, a really valuable and practical read on, on what's otherwise a very abstract topic. Um, and something that, that's really remarkable about Bruno is how he applies this stuff to his daily life. And we'll be hearing some of, it, some of that in, in this talk as well. Um, so Bruno's nickname is the Futurist Monk. Um, and you'll hear from him that he has a lot of different influences in his thinking, which is something that me and him really bonded over originally, uh, and I think is a really valuable part of his, his perspective on the world. So in this conversation, we discussed lots of things. Um, we established what chaos theory is, what it means. Bruno explains um, why he thinks there's definitely some science to explain to us why the world is more chaotic than ever before. Um, so he, he goes beyond conjecture in explaining why that is the case. Um, and we discuss a, a lot of different topics. We discuss the seemingly chaotic state of politics today and why, why that might be. Touch on social media and its effects. Um, we briefly discuss tech monopolies and, and why they're a slightly different type of monopoly, what we know before. We talk briefly about spirituality. Um, and mainly, um, as part of the spirit of this podcast, Bruno gives a lot of tools and tips. Um, and so we look into some of those tools for our personal lives, looking at things we can do to thrive in chaos or at least benefit or navigate chaos in, in the 21st century. And Bruno does a, a wonderful job of explaining that. 
Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. You'll notice at points the audio is a bit up and down because uh, Bruno was in a storm in the south of France. Um, but I think some, some bits of editing have hopefully made that decent enough. So please bear with me whilst I figure, figure this whole podcasting stuff out. Um, but I think the content of the conversation, uh, it was certainly really stimulating for me. And I'd love to have Bruno back on the podcast again to go deeper into some of these topics and to, to discuss some other stuff that we, we didn't quite get the time to do uh, in this conversation. Um, so like I said, the spirit of the co- podcast is to provide suggestions. If you listen through to the end of this episode, you should get plenty of those um, that, that can be tri- transformative um, from Bruno. If you've got any feedback, questions, suggestions about this episode, this is something I want to build with people who are listening to this. So I'd really appreciate um, your, fee- your feedback and suggestions. Uh, and you can email me that at john at flux.am. Anyway, with no further ado, here's my conversation with my good friend, Bruno Marion. So Bruno, thanks for being my first guest on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me as a first guest. I feel a bit impressed. <laughs> not, at, not at all. We've got, we've got a lot in common, a lot to talk about. Um, so so you, you, one of the things that really drew me to you originally was this kind of smorgasbord of ideas that you have. You come from, uh, you have, you're influenced by many different areas and I think that's something that really spoke to me. One of the ways that I've heard you articulate this before is through this term chaos theory. Could you, I think there's lots of different, um, I've heard lots of different descriptions of that term. Could, could you describe to our listeners what chaos what chaos theory claims to be? Like, what is it? I, I think nobody can, can answer that question, but I, I, I can give you my own uh, answer. That the first, why chaos theories? When, when the, the, and, and why I started to talk uh, about chaos theories? The, um, g- traveling around the world, as I said, meeting thousands of people. I've met super rich people, super poor people, people in jail, artists, politicians, activists. Uh, people working uh, with the special forces, the, the, to try to understand uh, our world. Actually, the, the more people I was meeting, the, the more books I was reading, the more I was trying to understand, the less uh, it was making sense. And, and I remember, very, and, and, it, and it makes sense that it was not making sense because the more you travel, the more people you meet, the more you are exposed to the complexity of the world. So the, the, the more you see, more you have to understand. And, and at that time, I was starting to feel quite desperate because that was my vision, my mission. Uh, I remind you, it was my legacy to understand this world. I was really starting to think, okay, Bruno, this is a failure. You, you, you don't understand what's happening to us. Uh, maybe just go back to your previous corporate job or, or, or another one or take care of your organic uh, vegetable garden in, in the south of France and forget about uh, all this. And, and my house, but you know my house, in the, in the middle uh, uh, of nowhere in the south of France. And, and I travel a lot, but most of the time in August, I don't travel. I, I stay in my house in the middle of nowhere. And this year, my, my first appointment, my first meeting, after a month uh, uh, in the middle of nowhere, was in Hong Kong. So I, I, had, uh, I knew Hong Kong already. I actually lived uh, for, for a short time in Hong Kong before. The, the, but the shock between my, my, my house in the middle of nowhere and Hong Kong was like, I don't know, put me in a very strange state. And I was like in my hotel room looking uh, 
through the window and seeing all these millions of people and wondering, but what are they going? Where are they going? From one shopping mall to another shopping mall? Where are we going as, as a humankind? And I started to feel like the, these whole things doesn't make sense. This world is, is a mess. This world is just chaos. And when I said that to myself, chaos, I, I was like, wait a second. Is this chaos like it's a mess, it's a catastrophe, which is the meaning for, for many people? Or is this chaos like in science? Is this chaos like in a scientific way? Because if so, and to answer, to answer your question, the way I am looking at chaos theories is what can we learn from chaos theories so we can thrive in this chaotic world. And this is my point. Our world has become chaotic in a scientific sense. But it's not mess. And if you understand a little bit of chaos theories, then you can actually learn to hack chaos to your advantage. So my way of seeing chaos theories is what can we use from science in our daily life, in, your, in our organizations, so we can actually hack today's chaos. Yeah, and I, I, I see that I think you're, you're in some sense an applied chaos theorist because you, you seem to go from the very, the very high level down to, we'll get into, I think, some stuff about your day-to-day -day routine, but some real practicalities uh, around how to apply chaos theory. I'm interested in this point you've just jumped on around chaos as science, um, and it's a term I use quite a lot of the time. Would you be able to describe because I think chaos typically is seen as a judgment. It's seen as a bad thing. You say, oh, that's chaos. And, and that's, that's a, a negative perception that people, are, people often have. Um, but when, when you go and say that you can now scientifically prove that the world is in a chaotic state, I think that's something that could do with a bit more explanation. Can you, can you go into some of the, the basic science behind that? Yeah, absolutely. For science, chaos is a state. Uh, it's a state of a system. What is a system? You are a system. I am a system. Uh, uh, an organization is a system. Humankind is a system. A system is a couple of things interacting uh, together, I could say. The, the, a system can have different states. It's like water. Water can have different states. Water can be solid, ice, can be liquid, like liquid water, the water you can drink, and it can be a gas, like vapor. And obviously, you're not going to interact the same way with water, depending on its, on, on its states. Uh, states. If water is liquid, maybe you'll drink it or wash your car or whatever uh, with it. If it's solid, maybe you'll put ice cube in your cocktails. The, 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 depending on the properties of the system, you will intuitively know what to do. And, and the important part is intuitively. You, you, you're not thinking about the state of water because you, you are used to it. Same for a, a, a more general system like humankind, like an organization, like your life. It's very important to know in what states it is. So before I come to the chaotic states, let me tell you the, the more common states, the, the, the one we are more familiar with. The first state is balanced. It's equilibrium. Maybe uh, as you are listening to, to, to me, you are sitting on a chair 
And hopefully, you are quite balanced uh, on, on this year. You may move a little bit. And actually, I don't know about that. If if I come and push you on your chair, you you will resist most probably, so so you don't fall. So by resisting, I will push. You resist. I'll push a little more. You resist. So actually, you will you will start to oscillate. It's like when when you push a swing, the swing will oscillate. And if you stop negative feedback, in this case, mechanical uh, resistance. These are the two states we understand, balanced or oscillating, not too far from balanced. Things are at equilibrium or oscillating. Things are under control. If I push you, you will try to resist so you don't fall. Thermostat. The, the, the thermostat, if it's too hot, will put AC. If it's too cold, will stop AC. Things are under control. What we learn from case theories is that at a certain stage, things can go out of control. At this certain stage is called the tipping point. After the tipping point, things will start to auto-amplify. What does it mean? And this is a very, very important uh, word, auto-amplification. The, the, it's like a crazy thermostat. If it's too cold, the thermostat will put more AC. It's even colder. The thermostat will put even more and more AC. Things are out of control. For some reasons that I can explain uh, later, because of world has become at that stage, there are many things that many places, many situations where we can see auto-amplification. Like the more people on Facebook, the more people on Facebook. If, if there are more people on Facebook, more people want to join on Facebook. What we call, uh, another example, what we call in marketing, the winner takes all. If you're the first one to develop an app to get a car and a driver, let's call it Uber. If you're the first one, well, you, you'll get more customers. And because you have more customers, you'll get more drivers. If you have more drivers, you get more customers, etc., etc. The more, the more, the less, the less. In this world, the richer you are, the richer you get. The poorer you are, the poorer you get. So my first thing that I would like to share with you about what is chaos for science it's a state where you can see things auto-amplifying. If you see things auto-amplifying, things are becoming more and more or less and less. They are not coming back to the previous equilibrium. Then this is chaos. Then this is a chaotic state. So, so you believe that the world is in a, in a chaotic state, scientifically speaking. Do you... Do you attribute any judgment to that? Or is that just a sort of neutral observation of the state of the world? Well, the, the first part is uh, not judgmental. It's just uh, uh, for two or three reasons, um, which are numbers, connection, and speed. Our world has become chaotic. Numbers, there have never been so many people on this planet. Uh, 150 years ago, there were approximately 1 billion people on this planet. Today, there are 7, maybe 8 billion people on this planet. If you look at the, the world population, it was quite stable. Not stable, it was oscillating uh, uh, around uh, an equilibrium. There were crises and wars and, 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 and maybe crises, but still it was very low. 
if you look at human population for the past 200 years, it's, it's like an explosion. Uh, humans are like virus. <laughs> it's like a virus to start trying to uh, invade all uh, available area on this planet. And, and we did that quite successfully. First numbers, there have never been so many people If you were talking uh, uh, about chaos theories, you, you would be saying there, there have never been so many agents. Never so many agents, mm. never so many people on this planet. First number. The second thing is We have never been so connected. We are connected because we are living together in big cities. We are connected because we are traveling to meet each other at the other end of our country, of our continent, or, or, the, or, or the planet. And we are connected, obviously, through uh, internet. Uh, there are half of the world population connected to internet. There are more mobile phones on this planet than human beings. We have never been so many people, and we have never been so connected. Speed, the first numbers, and connection. But there is another very important one, which is speed. Or I could say speed and scale. When I'm talking about a transition and an amazing transition, many people say to me, look, Bruno, you think these times are amazing because it's your time. But people 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago, most probably they were also thinking they were going through an amazing time. Well, to tell you the truth, I have no idea about what people were thinking uh, 2,000 years ago. And, and obviously, we can read books uh, years ago. The, the main difference with this, this transition that we are going through is the speed and the scale. No transition has been so fast, like when we change from the hunters, gatherers age to the agricultural, agricultural age, which changed everything. Uh, hunters, gatherers, mm. we, we live in tribe. Uh, most tribes were 40, 50 people. We are nomadic people. When there is nothing to eat, we move to, an, to another place. Agricultural stage, we, are, uh, we stop traveling uh, around. The, the, um, we, we are not nomadic uh, anymore. This is the emerging uh, uh, of nation states, the, the spreading of um, monotheistic uh, religion. This is changing everything. This change took thousands of years and didn't happen everywhere at the same If you look at the second big transition from the agricultural age to the, let's call it, industrial or commercial age, it took hundreds of years. So we, we changed from thousands of years to hundreds of years. And still at that time, it didn't happen, the industrial revolution didn't happen everywhere. As I said, this transition that we are going through, whether you call it the internet age, information age, communication age, whatever, is happening in a couple of decades, whether it's 30 years or 40 years, whatever, we change from thousands of years to hundreds of years to decades, less than a human life, less than a human life. And not only that, these changes, today's changes are happening almost everywhere and affecting almost everybody on this planet. Again, there are more mobile phones on this planet than human beings. And, and many human beings who are like uh, the poor farmers in the middle of India or, or, or Africa, their life has been dramatically changed by the mobile phone. Speed, 
connection and numbers. This is why, as you say, I could say many more agents connected, many examples of auto-amplifications that can be explained by chaos theories. Right, and I see that if you, it's almost like an equation, right? If you were to multiply the number of agents in your words times the connectivity between those agents times the speed at which um, things, things are moving forward, perhaps technological process, um, progress would be a, a measurement there. You have some sort of broad measurement that can prove that the world is in a, is in a chaotic state. Is that correct? Let's see, yes. You know, what is important is not, you know, you have these people, they, they just discover about quantum physics and, and, this, and then they see quantum physics everywhere. And, 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 and I don't want to do the same or I don't want you to do the same with chaos theories. You should just right. use as new glasses to, to understand the world. Some things uh, uh, on this planet were already chaotic before we could understand what is chaos. And some things are balanced today, or some things are oscillating. I mean, you don't need chaos theories to know how much time to fill a, a, a bathtub. Right. Um, so, so just humankind, just humankind, for certain aspects, we can see this auto-amplification. Like we used to have cyclical crisis before. Now we have systemic crisis, like uh, uh, a financial crisis can trigger an economic crisis that can trigger a political crisis that can trigger itself uh, uh, a social crisis that may trigger a new economic crisis. So it gets worse and worse. This is auto-amplification. Mm. And this may, may be, not necessarily, due to a chaotic state. So I want to go into some of these different sort of, um, let's say, consequences of chaos. Um, but, but first, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm really understanding here. It sounds to me, what, I, what I'm understanding now is that you're saying that chaos theory um, isn't an equation or an index that will... This, this, the way that inequality, for instance, has a calculation to create an index. It is a mental model or a perspective. I think you used the expression, it was, a, it was lenses to see the world through. So I think, I think you're saying it's the latter. You're saying it's a lens to see the world through. It's not, a, um, it's not a detailed equation or index by which to measure the state of the world. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, in chaos theories, you, you do have very detailed uh, uh, equation. Uh, but it's not like you can apply uh, in, it to every uh, simple uh, human uh, activities. That, that, that would be uh, too yeah. simple. But obviously, as you said, yes, yeah. you can use it as a mental model. And if you understand this mental model, you, you, you would know what to do, which is the most important part. Yeah, and, and that's where I think we'll go into some of the applications um, of this. But I wanted to make sure I was defining the broad terms correctly first. And you, just, you just started touching on um, examples such as the economic crisis. Can you point out, because I think what I gather from this is that a lot of speakers... Um, 
we'll talk about the world changing faster than ever or that the exponential change uh, pace of change is, is itself increasing exponentially. And in some cases, I think that has been sort of overhyped conjecture by people who are just trying to kind of increase survival anxiety in a company. You know, it's like a, it's, it becomes a, a rhetoric for fear. Um, and where, where I think uh, I want to land us here is in some of the visible examples of the world today where we see that society is in a chaotic state. Could you, could you perhaps give some, some color to that painting? What are some of the things that you see that really demonstrate that the world is in a chaotic state right now? Well, first, I would like to repeat the examples uh, uh, I took because I think they are very important to understand. The, the auto-amplification is a very good sign. So if you see things not going back to equilibrium, but eating more and more something, uh, then this could be chaos. So I took this example, like I can say, the more people on Facebook, the more people on Facebook. If, if it's only you and me and your friends, it's going to be 10 people. If there is more than 2 billion people active on Facebook, then many, many more people want to join Facebook. And, and there is really no second one. Uh, Facebook is first, but there is no really big competition for Facebook. I took the example of the systemic uh, crisis. I, I could give you like another example. Let's say you're working in a big organization, commercial organization, and you have a customer somewhere. You, you, I don't know, let's say you're a big hotel chain. And, and you're one of your customers and post something on TripAdvisor or, or, or whatever. But if you can fix the problem, Using the old ways, I don't know, you, you have processes, you have a, a thing to do. When uh, a customer is not happy, you should do this, you should do that. If, if it works, then perfect. The, the, you don't need chaos theories. If on the opposite, the more you do, the worse it gets. I don't know, you try to, your customer, customer service try to make, tries to make a nice reply to this customer, on TripAdvisor, and then, I don't know, he, he makes another comment, and things are getting, getting worse and worse and worse, and then the, the TripAdvisor comment that nobody read now starts to be tweeted by somebody, and, and he's reaching like an audience of, of hundreds of thousands, and then a journalist from CNN or whatever they, they read the tweets, and then so he retweets himself, and then the things go like right. an audience of millions. Things are auto-amplifying. Yeah. This can happen only today because we are connected and because so many are connected and everything is happening instantly. Yeah, I've got to say, I've got to say we're, we're absolutely aligned on, on this part of it because I think I see this, this self-amplification. One of my biggest um, bugbears at the moment is looking at the power that the tech monopolies have. Um, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, and it really, it really feels. I think Apple reached a trillion dollars market value the other day. Um, this feels like a symptom of this chaotic state that you're discussing, no? Yes, and we we had monopoly uh, before. The difference again, it's scale and speed. To take a uh, hundred years to, to become a, a monopoly. Uh, there are, of course, uh, some other examples. That, that, but 
generally speaking, now you can get a, a tech monopoly with you. This was not possible before. Yeah, absolutely. I think Facebook launched when I was at university, which is about 10, 15 years ago now. Um, so so it, it really shows the speed at which these things are happening. Furthermore, I think when you when you look into the power of those companies, it's not always obvious. Like you, um, we're quick to look at the money, um, which is which is a huge amount of power in of itself. But within that, there's power because Apple, for instance, hoard a huge amount of cash, which is money simply taken out of the economy. But the power's not necessarily there. It's that the you know the more we use Facebook, not only the more money they make, but the more powerful their machine learning algorithms get so you're you're feeding you're you're literally feeding the beat and that feels like it belongs to this same um characteristic you're describing of auto amplification that the, the system gets stronger and stronger absolutely so it, this um this second bit that you mentioned uh, i think took us into the the world of social media a little bit you mentioned this TripAdvisor comment that um that uh, that can trigger, you know, a, a response from CNN and can end up being uh, a sort of big, big mess. Um, can can be literally can be chaotic from the judgmental perspective. I feel like that's that's also what we're seeing in politics at the moment. So so, tell me a little bit about that. How do you see um, through your lens of chaos chaos theory? How do you see? politics at the moment and the way the way that's playing out oh i see uh, politics as i see the rest of the world i see the politic the, the political uh, arena becoming more and more extreme as i said in in when you have this self uh, amplification when you get uh, the richer you are the richer you get but i could say the more on the right you are the more on the right you get which works also on the left. Uh, the more on the left, the more on the left you get. The, the, you, you were talking about Facebook, so we talk about this uh, bubble filter. Uh, the, 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 the Facebook algorithm, as you, as you mentioned, is one of the most powerful because so many volunteers are working for free <laughs> for, uh, for, for them. And, and, and we are, most of us, <laughs> we, we are one of them. So the... the yeah. Facebook, we, we, this is a time of the attention economy. They, they want your attention. They, they, they want your uh, mind time. And, and therefore, Facebook algorithm is going to post, to send you posts that you want to read. Otherwise, if you don't like them, you, you'll stop reading Facebook and you'll go... And on Twitter, I'll, I'll do something else. <laughs> I'll do something else. I have, have a normal life. So they, they don't want you to go back to your normal life. They want you to, to stay on, on your Facebook wall. So let's say, the, the, and the way the algorithm can detect that is either because you share it or you like it or just because you read it. By reading it, you spend more time on this post. And this is enough for Facebook algorithm to know that you like this post which means you, like, you may like the content, you may like the person who, who, who is sharing this content. Therefore, Facebook is going to send you more of this since you like it. So let's say you, 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 you like uh, a, a, a post or an article which is more like uh, uh, on the right side of the political uh, spectrum, I would say. 
Then next thing, uh, Facebook algorithm is send it, send it, will send you another one, even maybe a little more on the right. And, and then we go. And then it go the more and the more and the more extreme it becomes. So when I travel and when I meet people to, under, to, to answer your question, I see the world becoming more and more extremes. And one of these extremes that you see in so many countries, even in, in the countries which are supposed to be the lighthouse or the lighthouses of democracy in the world, you see this extreme. There is on one side uh, people more and more aware and comfortable uh, with this world happening. The, and it's not a question of age. They're just, okay, it's okay. And, and they are educated. By educated, I don't mean necessarily school. But they feel educated enough to understand and, and deal with this new world and thrive in this new world. And then they are aware, and so you have the table, and you have the aware and afraid. All these people, they don't understand what's happening to them. Therefore, they resist. And they go back to what they would think is basics for them. So you, you, and you see that in so many, so many, so many countries. People who are aware and comfortable with the new technologies, but are not so comfortable with some part of the system. So they want to change it. They want to change it. And some people, they want to go back uh, to the past. They want to go back to the past. So to answer in a short sentence, how do I see the political situation every, in many, many places in the world? My answer is it's becoming more and more extreme because of this self-amplification. I mean, have you had any sense of um, possibilities or opportunities for overcoming that? Oh, yes. The, the one other thing you learn from chaos theories. So remember, a system can be balanced, like you sitting on your chair. The system can oscillate, like the thermostat or the swing, not too far from equilibrium. And after the tipping point, things start to self or auto-amplify. They get more and more, and the system will never go back to the previous equilibrium. After this chaotic stage, two things can happen. Many civilizations have collapsed in the past. We, we would not be the first one. The, the first, as far as we know, as far as we know, the first city that reached a population of one million rows, an amazing level of complexity, rose approximately 50 years for the pop from one million to approximately 50,000. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, that is a, 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 that's, a tough, that's a tough collapse, right? And is, is that how you see this, this going, going for us now? That's a possibility, except that if it was happening today, I think there would be two major differences. When Rome collapsed, first, it took 50 years, and it didn't affect that much the Chinese, as far as I can imagine. It was quite local, even if the Roman Empire was huge at that time. But, I mean, it was quite local uh, around the Mediterranean Sea. If we were seeing such a collapse today, I believe that we are so connected, and so many of us, that first, it will not take 50 years. It would be much faster. 
and it would affect almost everybody on this planet. So this is the bad news. I, I, I'm doing all of what I'm doing. This is how I started. Remember, I, I want to give a legacy. Think that we are going through an amazing time, an amazing transition with amazing risk. And when I was talking about amazing risk, now you understand that I, this can be really amazing. We are talking about the, the possible cut of humans. So that's news. Mm. According to theory, there can be a lapse or there can be a breakthrough. A new system, a new equilibrium, complex than the previous one, can emerge. So that's why there is amazing risk in this transition. There's also a good breakthrough in the way you were talking about politics uh, before, in the way we could live together on the planet and think to chaos theories, we on this planet, in a harmonious way, uh, we feed uh, 10 billion people with healthy and organic food, uh, we can live happily together according to chaos theories. According to chaos theories, the whole thing can also collapse and there can be an amazing breakthrough. And for me, the question today is, what do we do? What do we do so we don't collapse in our personal lives, in our communities, and as a humankind? And what can we do to help this breakthrough? Yeah, and I think it's, we can treat this at the, uh, at the global down to the individual level, right? Um, I hear some futurists talk about the age of abundance. Equally, like I mentioned earlier, there can often be a rhetoric of fear and, and how we're all, we're all screwed. Um, ultimately, it does feel like it comes back to some of the stuff you mentioned a bit earlier around, you mentioned education, not, not necessarily formally, um, but in terms of our, I guess, our ability to thrive through, through chaos as to whether we end up with um, a collapse or a breakthrough. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. Like if you were to design, if you were to be somehow, somehow in charge, you're, you're the king for the day. Can, you can redesign the way people uh, learn, I guess, fundamentally, but basically the, the way they, they learn to have a different relationship with chaos um, and with this, this new world that you're describing. What, what would that look like? Well, first, I think in this world, I don't think anybody can claim to have the solution. And I definitely don't claim that I have the solution. I claim I have a couple of tools so uh, what we need, the, the, according to me, if we want to hack chaos, is to understand two things. The first thing is the one I mentioned, auto-amplification. A small thing can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is one tool that we can use to hack chaos. That is to say, don't try to change big things. This is the past. We, we go from socialist to communist, from communist to capitalist, or, or, or the other way around. We, we tried that. Uh, uh, and, and now we know socialist was not working that well. Now we start to understand that capitalist, capitalism is destroying our planet. So it may not work that well, for at least not for everybody. So, so it doesn't work. One answer doesn't work. We, we need many trials many, many answers. We need to try many, 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 many things. And we should try to sm small things. 
small things that you repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. So what I'm saying in a very easy way, and I can give you more examples about what I call routines and rituals, but what I'm seeing here is that maybe if you want to change the world, you should be nice to your neighbors, or you should be nice to your colleagues, or you should be nice to your family. Maybe to change the small things will have, this is called the butterfly effect, by, by the way, in chaos theories. Uh, the, the, the butterfly effect, because according to Lawrence, the, the meteorologist, one of the founder of chaos theories, the, the, a butterfly flip uh, the, in, 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 in the south of France, where I am, could trigger a storm in Brazil or in New York. A small event, because of these auto-amplifications, can trigger a huge result. So this is the first important thing. We can change the world, not by big things, but by small incrementations, by trying small things and repeat, 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 and see the result. The other part that is very important, that we can learn from chaos theories, is that chaos, you remember the chaotic stage, when you have all this auto-amplification, it looks like mess. Most of the time we look at the system and it goes like in every direction. It doesn't make any sense. But when you look closer, and, and I'm not going too deep into scientific details here, the system actually is not doing anything. It's doing a certain amount of things. So we have these strange things with chaos. Chaos cannot be predicted. You cannot predict what's going to happen. And at the same time, the system follows, I could say, certain rules. Rules being maybe a bit a strong word. There is what we call a strange attractor. This is the, the, the official name for that, a strange attractor. So to make it nature, you have randomness. In ran when things are random, you cannot predict anything. Random is random. When a system is linear at equilibrium or oscillating not too far from equilibrium, you can predict the system. You may need to understand the system and, and, and study it, but once you have understood it, you can predict it. So on one hand, you have randomness. Randomness, you cannot predict anything. On the other hand, you have linear system organized system. You can predict what's going to happen. Somewhere else, I don't want to say in the middle, but somewhere else you have chaos. Chaos, you cannot predict precisely, but it's not random. There are certain rules. So if you understand that, you will be able to create your own strange attractor. You will be able to create what I call your dream, your vision. So basically, what we need, what you need in your life today is, is in your personal life, you need a very clear dream, a very clear vision. Before, you didn't need that because maybe somebody... By the way, if you don't have a dream, some other people will have a dream for you. And, so, and it not, it's not always good news. So have your own dream, own vision, so you can hack chaos with your own self-designed strange attractor. And second, have a set of, of small routines, rituals, that you, processes that you repeat every day, every day or every week or every month.
And we need the same at a more global level. I think we need not one dream. As I, as I explained, I don't believe in the one dream thing, but we need many dreams, many, many, many new narratives. How could we live together? How do you want to live? We need a new vision. And again, when I say a new vision, I mean many, many new visions and new ways of interacting together. Yeah, I think, and this is something that really drew me to your work originally, because whilst the uh, whilst chaos theory in theory is very uh, can sound sometimes I think abstract. Um, having having been to meet you in your house in the south of France, I know that uh, when you truly um, see the world through those lenses, uh, it it can trigger an awful lot of changes. You started describing some of them there with your. Um, your attitude towards setting yourself uh, a vision and other things. I'm wondering if you could take people through a little bit about your your day-to-day life because um, it certainly influenced mine. I know that you you live your your Monday to Sunday slightly differently than the average person I know for sure. Hmm. The, the, again, I believe in these chaotic times. You actually never had so much power to change things. In, in the previous world, if you wanted to change things, in what I call the linear world, when things were not too far from equilibrium, if you wanted to change things, whether in your own life or for everybody, you needed to be very powerful. That, that is to say, to be very rich or to be the CEO of a very big company or, or the president or prime minister of the country. In this new world, because of these auto-amplification, because of what I also call the butterfly effect, you never had power. So the question is, what do you do with, with this power? Are you actually using it to change things in your life or to design your own life? Are you using it to not stay passively uh, uh, and suffering from all the crisis happening today? Or are you like surfing in the middle of the storm, happy to discover new big waves uh, every, uh, every two minutes? And this is what I am doing. Because I think this world has become chaotic, I'm implementing one of the two most important tools, the one I mentioned. I have my own strange attract, which are my dreams, my vision. So I have one for long term, which is like 10, 20 years, 25 years. And, and one which is for the year, the coming year. So I did it in January. So this is for the, the, like the calendar year. Have a dream. And, and, and I would advise you just to sit down or, or maybe meditate if you meditate. If you don't meditate, maybe go and walk in a forest if you're lucky enough to have a forest next to your, where you live. Uh, nature is a good idea. So go and walk. And if you live in a big city, just find a park and go and walk for 20 minutes with, with this question, and just the question, not the answers, just the question in your mind, where do I want to be in one year or in 20 years? Where do I want to be? What do I, I want to have achieved in this coming year? And when you get back, get back to your seat, just take a piece of paper and, and, and write down everything. Write down, don't, don't try to organize things, make mistakes, be wild. Write down anything that, cross, that has crossed your mind or is crossing your mind right now. Write down everything. And then you can read it tomorrow again, and then you can start to organize. But, and, and maybe you can add things 
start to, to, to think about the different areas of your life, career, your family, relationships, health. Where do you want to be? Well, how do you want your health? Maybe you are super healthy today. You want to keep the same health. Maybe you are not that healthy. You want to lose 10 kilos or, or whatever. Uh, or you're sick and, and, and your, your dream is not to be sick a, a, anymore. Write it down. Write it down. Then you are creating your strange attractor or attractors because you, you can have many, uh, as many dreams as you, can, as you want. Very, I need to tell you something very important. A dream is not an objective. An objective is supposed to be fixed. Like I want to uh, turn over of 100,000 euros. Or, uh, this is an objective. And you can have objectives. It's just a different subject. You can have a dream today. Change next week. And second part, have rituals, have routines. And the first and most important one, the most important routines, read your dream every day. So the first thing I'm doing every morning, uh, not the first thing actually, but one of the first thing I'm doing every morning is I read and I just don't only read. I actually live emotionally my dream. Like one of my dreams, I realized last winter that I really don't like the cold weather. So I thought, okay, Europe is not for me in winter. I need to find a nice island and a nice house in a very warm weather uh, for the, the next winter. So I, I wrote down, I'm, I'm, I'm in my, and my dream was for next winter to be uh, in most probably in Southeast Asia, in, in, in a very nice house with a nice view. And every day when I was reading this dream, I would feel the right temperature. I would see, I would, I would to see, even the, uh, not in real, but I could see, I could figure out in, in my dream, in my head, I could see the sea, I could see the ocean, I could see the water, I could imagine uh, the house. This I would read every morning. I would read, absolutely. by the way, uh, I just confirmed the house like a week ago. So <laughs> no, I, I, the, my dream is becoming true. It's become, and, and I, I'm renting a house for three months in Thailand. Well, I've got, I've got to say, when I came to visit you, um, you, I remember you doing this in the morning. I remember you had it in a note on your phone and you were reading uh, or, or rather feeling through this list of, of dreams that you had. Um, and I, I actually, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I went back uh, to my place in the mountains. Um, I was a bit younger then, so I had a list of 30 things before 30. Wow. 30 dreams before 30 and I achieved I think all of them wow um, and, and I, did, I did I did the same process that you you suggested which was to to go through them every day and I, I mean some of them are some of them are pretty big one was to have a family so so it really it really shows how um how powerful that can be um so th thank you for that <laughs> you're but, welcome I'm so happy <laughs> <laughs> but I also remember you having a number of other routines surrounding that as well. So can, can you, I think, I think this is, um, the, you know, part of the spirit of this podcast is that I want to mm. provide um, possibilities for people to act on. And I think mm. this is a really rich area in your life. Well, the, the, the one of the very, the, the very first thing I do is to read and live my dreams. So there is my 20 years vision. Then there is my annual vision. Um, one of the routines I'm using is I never check my email before 11 a.m. local time because I'm, I'm trying 
learning a lot. So where, wherever I am, I never check my email before 11. The, I meditate every day, which is part of my routine uh, as well. I meditate a minimum of 20 minutes. Most of the time I meditate more than that, like 30 minutes. And what sort of meditation practice is that? Uh, it, it's close to Vipassana meditation, which if you're not familiar with meditation, it's just meditating in, in silence. So it's not, in my case, it's not guided uh, meditation. It's in silence and mostly concentrated, uh, focused on my body and, and especially my breathing. Mm-hmm. If, if you, uh, th- th- I would say to uh, anybody uh, asking me the question, if I had to, to ask two routines, uh, I would ask, uh, uh, I would tell you, read your dreams, live your dreams, and meditate. I, if I had only two, that would be my, 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 my two most important. I have a yeah. couple of uh, yoga, which is a big word because I, I don't really do yoga, but I have small yoga. I don't even go <laughs> to but uh, a small of yoga, uh, I would say. The um, one thing I do, because in my case, my voice is very important as a speaker. My, 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 my life is to be a speaker so I can share my ideas. And my main tool to share my ideas is my voice. So every day, I do a, a voice warm-up every day, every day. And, and I have others, like I'm traveling a lot. And, and when I travel a lot, I miss my family. I miss the people I love. So I have this small routine that wherever I am, I just close my eyes and I send them like a love hug. Uh, I don't know how I send that. Huh? And, and I'm not sure they do receive it. But, but it makes me feel good. It, it sounds somehow similar to Metta Bhavna meditation or, yeah, or yeah, loving, yeah, loving yeah, kindness yeah. meditation. I'm, I'm curious about these routines because I think link, linking back to um, uh, the chaotic state we've been describing and that self-amplification of, of various, um, various sort of phenomena, um, it feels like this daily routine is a moment for you to come back to, to the center amongst the storm kind of thing, whether that is uh to to remain focused that you're you really are living your own dream not one that's been sort of accidentally prescribed to you um or meditation and i'm 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 particularly interested in meditation partly because um i I practice it pretty pretty heavily um and have done for sort of four or five years now but i feel like there is something in meditation particularly in vipassana meditation so i'm not talking about um chants or mantras i'm I'm really referring to uh, a method of meditation whereby the goal is simply to observe reality as it is and uh not not to be driven by our, our 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 cravings to change reality or our resistance from the existing reality and it feels to me certainly like practicing that kind of um almost scientific form of meditation, I think it has been corroborated a lot by neuroscience now, that it enables us to navigate change um, very differently. I find myself far less reactive to these self-amplificating phenomena after, after years of having observed reality as it is, if you know what I mean. I don't know mm. if I'm making sense there. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense to me, at least. <laughs> yeah, and let's go through a little bit more. So I also want uh, people to understand. I want to go into one of the 
terms behind chaos, which is the term resilience. And your uh, the way you live in terms of your house in the south and your house in Paris is perhaps the best story to describe what resilience actually means. So take us into that a little bit, because I think resilience is a is a is a keystone to understanding chaos. Mm. Yeah, yeah. If we are, if I'm right, and if if we are really going through these chaotic stages before we even reach the collapse or the breakthrough, uh, there will be because of these auto amplifications. I believe there will be a, a couple of crises in in many different uh, areas, like uh, economic crisis, uh, financial crisis, social crisis, food crisis, weather. Uh, crisis, uh, obviously, maybe the, the, the most uh, uh, important ones. So, as my practice, everything I'm sharing, I try to practice myself, like whatever routines, uh, when I'm talking about these visions, these strange attractors, that, uh, you know, I've been using this for, for, for years. So, I can tell you, like the example you took with your 30 things before 30, it, it works. And even if you I'm glad you did 100%, but even if you did 70%, I would say, I think still it works. 70% of your dream and you achieved it, it works. 100%, it's even better. Huh? Maybe dream more next time. Next time you do <laughs> your 40 things before 40, maybe you yeah. should be more ambitious. Yeah, uh, I think I'll you should take, more. I'll take that advice on board. Yeah, yeah you should be more uh, ambitious. So, I'm practicing it. And same for the resilience, because I believe we are going through a couple of crises in, in the coming years. It makes sense to work about resilience. And when I say work, that is to say, do your best. Do your best to provide resilience. And what is resilience, by the way? This resilience, I think the official definition is the ability to go through a crisis without being harmed or ability to reconstruct yourself after the crisis. So there are many areas you you can think about resilience. There is a psychological resilience, there is a material resilience, there is a financial resilience. So when you mentioned my house, we are more on the materialistic resilience. But remember, it's also important when you go through crisis to think about emotional resilience, psychological resilience. But talking about the material uh, part of the resistance, that the, as I told you, I have a house in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and you know uh, my house. And when you have a house on the, uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, many things can happen to you. Uh, today, there is a huge storm. In winter, we could get snow. The, 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 I, I live in the south, so normally we don't get snow, but, but not much snow. But in the past years, we, we did get. Uh, it's like the, the, the climate has been becoming uh, quite crazy, uh, I could say. We had a lot of water, and now it's more like a, a, a drought. I mean, it's, it's, we should be prepared for that. So the question is, what can you do to bring more resilience to yourself, to your family, and to your community? I really insist on that because resilience just for yourself doesn't exist. When you start to work on resilience, one thing you realize is that you cannot be resilient by yourself. I mean, you, you can be a survivalist and, and, and stockpile uh, rice, <laughs> tons of rice in your house and maybe buy a machine gun and, and kill everybody trying to steal the rice from you. But obviously, uh, I don't think you're going to have a fun life. 
So, so, so when you think resilience, don't think as a, a, a man or a woman who wants to be trapped in a, in, in a place with tons of rice. No, no, that's not the subject. How do you want to have a happy life? How do you want? So the, the, the resilience is not only, like in my, in my case, I, I've, I've been working on the energy part of the resilience. So I have a windmill. I have uh, solar panels uh, for photoelectric, uh, photovoltaic solar panels. I have solar panels for heating the water. I have my own garden. So we, we, we were thinking about that. And it's not the most important part. The most important part, I would say, do you know your, do you know your neighbors? And you don't have to be best friends with all your neighbors. But it's a good idea to meet your neighbors. Some of them you will like, some of them you will not like them that much, but at least know your neighbors. So resilience is the ability to ask yourself the question, what if this happened? And work on it, work on it. Don't try to be perfect, but work on it. Like I'm in the middle of nowhere. What happens if there is one meter of snow? I better have enough food for one week or two weeks. So I don't know if you need food for two weeks or one month or two days, but think of it and decide for yourself. Yeah, and I think my, my understanding is that you see resilience as a strategy within a system, within a network, rather than something that you do independently of the network. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, um, a way of thinking about this that I've had before is some sort of, uh, let, let me sort of... Uh, mumble my way through because I'm trying to clarify my own thoughts as I speak but the um, if I think of a, an analogy perhaps with servers uh, that a centralized server uh, within a within a system is fragile and that it has a single point of failure it has limited bandwidth um, and in the case of collapse um, the, the single the, the head of the snake was kind of taken off so so there's likely collapse in a decentralized system, there is uh, redundancy. So the, 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 there's no one system that you can attack um, because things are getting shared. So if a hacker makes their way into a, a distributed system, um, it's a lot more difficult because they're, they're simply by numbers. There are, there are more, more servers in the system. Um, however, if all of those servers are identical, um, if you can hack one, in theory, you can hack them all, which is where I feel that diversity comes in. Mm. So if you try to hack a distributed system, um, but let's say all 100 agents within that system are different operating systems or pieces of hardware, it's going to be very difficult to take over the whole system. And in fact, the whole system could, could in theory, fight you back. So I feel like diversity is... Um, is you know just practically speaking, just almost mathematically speaking, um, an an essential ingredient to resilience. And diversity is a, obviously a huge topic politically um, at the moment. But with some of the with this self amplification um, phenomena you mentioned earlier, I feel like diversity is the thing that we're also it's the thing we need most, and it's the things that we're getting less. I mean, I for, to, just to speak for myself, I'm also in a filter bubble i feel like i try hard to get my news sources from different places for instance um but you know so socially i spend time with with quite a, a monochrome group of people um 
And so I feel like diversity is a conscious strategy that we must all have in order to be resilient in a chaotic system. And it's the thing we need most, but the thing we, we somehow like do less in a chaotic system. Yeah, absolutely, yes. The, the, um, one thing has been quite resilient in the past uh, thousands, if not millions of years, is nature. Nature has been somehow uh, quite resilient uh, in the past. And, and there are many things that we can learn from nature about resilience, not only about resilience, but typically about resilience. And one of the strategies that nature is using to be more resilient is diversity. Definitely. So I definitely agree with you. One is diversity. Another one uh, is decentralization, which is also related to, to one thing you just, uh, you just said. Another one is redundance. To have things in double or, or, or even triple uh, in, in some... It's, it's like on a plane. The to have safety, a backup somehow. Uh, yeah, it's to have a backup or, or to have different backups. So coming back to diversity, the, um, I think it's very important to check your own diversity. Like you, you mentioned before, uh, you, you live in quite a monochrome uh, group of people, with a uh, quite monochrome group of people. The, the, talking about the, the filter bubble, the, I, I used to uh, just uh, stop following the crazy people sometimes I was reading on my Facebook wall. Now, sometimes when I see something really uh, crazy, uh, I read it to make sure Facebook, I'm going to, is going to, Facebook algorithm is going to send me more uh, of that. So at least I'm going to be exposed to people who are not thinking like me. Just to give you another quite stupid example, um, I travel a lot, and when I go to this bookshop, a bookshop in train stations and, and, and airports, I always buy a magazine about a subject that is the most improbable for me. Like I, I don't know if you remember, but I'm a vegetarian. The last time I bought, I bought a magazine about hunting. So buy magazines from time to time about subjects that you would never read uh, in your normal life. Uh, so that will bring you more diversity. You will get more ideas. Not only you will know what these people, in hunters in my case, but some other people are thinking about, but you may discover new ideas uh, thanks to what we call cross-pollinization. So diversity, definitely, yes. Decentralization is for, for a political system, I, I believe, is super important. And redundance. Think about, like, I, re I realize that in my life, I'm traveling a lot, and, and my, one of my main tools to work is my phone. So I bought a second phone. So I have two phones. And when I travel, I always have a backup. So if I need one, I have it here. Again, I'm not saying you all need a second phone. That may be a very, very bad idea for you. So, de so decentralization, diversity, and redundancy are, are the prin principles that you're seeing resilience by. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like you practice them pretty, um, pr pretty strong in your day-to-day in your -day life, whether that's having a home that is resilient because it has backup energy um, and, and is both connected and self-sufficient 
all through your day-to-day routines, meditation, reading, um, reading in two ways in that you're, you're reading your dreams to yourself every day, but you're also reading, I think you said a hundred books a year. Yes. Um, so you're being, you're being confronted with, I guess, opposing ideas. What, what this brings up for me is psychologically just how, um, just how ill-equipped I think we have been uh, traditionally to do this. So, so the two things that I bear in mind are, are the, the various cognitive biases we have. One is our, our desire to validate our existing point of view in the world, which is a very strong desire and yet what what we're asking ourselves to do here is to really go against that bias and seek uh seek confronting ideas and and seek them truly openly to adopting them uh and that that feels really hard and then secondly in terms of our relationships being able to have relationships however short or long those relationships are with people who are very different to us ideologically and again to really try to to fully understand and listen to that person these are two principles that i think are um are difficult i i i'll speak for myself i certainly find it very difficult um to do that and yet it feels like they are skills that are necessary to prosper in the 21st century yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, the, 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 the people having, um, uh, the, the people you would, could ali- you would call alien, <laughs> they were living uh, either on another planet or another continent. No, people think so differently from you that they may be just next door. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got I've got a few more things I want to cover here. F- firstly, is my my sense. I mean, you, you your nickname has been the futurist monk, uh, which again, having been to your beautiful home in the south of France and meditated with you in the morning, um, and been around your vegetable garden, I, I I fully subscribe to that nickname. I like it a lot. Um, and I think what I find interesting is that you're both approaching the world. Um, scientifically, through through your analysis of it, um, but al- but also you, I've heard you use in various talks and and books um, the term spiritual before. Can you walk me through a little bit how how you see the word the word spiritual and what you mean by that? I think in 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 humans, basically from day one, <laughs> I've been t- trying to understand to a certain extent, what's happening to them, what's happening to us. And, and three of the main ways humans have been using are science, spirituality and religions, and philosophy. Depending on the time, one was stronger than the others. I could say that in the past 2,000 years, spiritualities and or religions. In the past 200 years, I would say science has been uh, quite strong. Statistically speaking, uh, of course, re- again, the spirituality and religion are still And then philosophy has been uh, strong in small uh, geographical pockets like uh, Greece uh, a couple of years ago. And, and, and But these three ways, are the main ways used to understand our world. So I've been trying 
from, from these three. So I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm coming from the scientific world. So obviously this is the one I've been using the most, like when I'm using chaos theories. But I've also tried to understand the two others, the one I did not know or I did not know that well. So that's why I read a lot about spirituality and, and, and religions and philosophies as well. So to answer your question about uh, spirituality, I think it's just a way of asking and to answer the question, why? Why here? What, what, what purpose uh, of, of life, of my life? So this is how I see your spirit, uh, just the ability to handle or deal with or live with the question why and the many whys, why I am here, why this is happening, why somebody I love gets sick, why this person is, whatever, why. Right. So, so my understanding there is that you're not attaching necessarily any metaphysical concepts to the term spirituality. It's more of a, um, it's more of a, philosoph a philosophy of inquiry for you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one part. Uh, and if you want to attach it to any uh, uh, metaphysical views, or I'm perfect, perfect, I think it's the same. It's, it's just different words, but I think it's the same. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm certainly not yet um, uh, been, been convinced enough to attach any, anything metaphysical to it. Um, I'm, I'm still figuring out my relationship with the word itself, I think. Um, but Bruno, this has been a really wonderful um, conversation. I know you've got to leave soon, so I, I just want to rattle through a few last bits. Um, first thing is, is, do you have anything that we've not covered that, that you want to leave people with or you just want to bring up um, what, when, as we wrap up this conversation? Uh, as a wrap up, uh, uh, if, if I was just meeting you for three minutes of my life, and, and I'm glad we had more than that, I would tell you, if you want to hack chaos, have a dream as a clear vision. In the past, you, you could have a dream. But, but it was a nice to have. Now it's a must have. When everything is changing every day, if you, want, if you don't want to be like the small boat lost in the middle of the storm, if you want to be the opposite, the, the nice boat surfing with a very smart and visionary captain on it who can surf on, on, on the waves to reach his goals, his dream, then do your homework. Have a dream. Have a dream for 20 years and for one year. And my second thing I would tell you is read it. Read it every day and start maybe tomorrow one routine. Maybe if you don't meditate, read a book about meditation and try it for three minutes. If you want to walk uh, for 10 minutes in nature, do it. Try to do one small ritual every day. One I can, I can offer you and share with you, which is one of my favorite, is my gratitude. Uh, routine. Every day I ask myself, what are the three things I feel gratitude? Uh, yesterday it was a super nice weather. I met this, this person. Uh, she was amazing. Three things. Do that every day. Have a dream. Have a strange attractor so you can hack chaos. And if you want to use the butterfly effect, repeat. 
repeat your rituals. The most important one is read your dream every day. This is strong advice. I certainly um, re recommend it as well. I've, I've, um, you, you've been a, a bit of an influence on me, and these have certainly really filtered into my day-to-day -day life. So, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. One of my final questions is: I'd, I'd like um, all my guests on the podcast to invite another guest onto the podcast. Who, who have you got anybody in mind, or a, a type of person in mind that you that you can invite to have a, a great conversation, uh, an optimistic conversation? I, I would suggest somebody you, you met. Uh, I would suggest uh, Valentin, my friend, uh, Valentin Van Nott, because he's an amazing entrepreneur. And at the same time, he has an amazing life uh, story. Uh, we've been working a lot on all these routines and, and rituals and, and vision. And on many aspects, he's much, much uh, better than me. He has been much deeper uh, on this subject. So I think Valentin uh, would be a, a good pick knowing okay. you and knowing your crazy questions. Yeah, well, um, Valentin's life story is certainly um, one in a million. I think he'd be a fantastic guest to have and he really practices some of the stuff you've mentioned um, quite scientifically. So he'd be, he'd be a great person to bring on to the podcast. Finally, Bruno, any, um, if our listeners want to find out more about you, um, where, where, where do you want to point them towards? Oh, a good place uh, to meet each other would be my website, brunomarion.com. That's uh, my, like my first name and my family name attached, B-R-U-N-O-M-A-R-I-O-N.com, brunomarion.com. And you have all my contacts and a lot of contents. And you can even download my books, my latest book, Chaos, Chaos User's Guide. So there, there's a lot, a lot of content. And, and again, we can, we can meet there. Great. Wonderful. Bruno, thanks so much for this conversation. I hope the, uh, the storm in the south of France um, calms down. Regardless, it sounds like you'll be very safe in your resilient home. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks. Thanks a lot for, for your trust and for this amazing conversation. Lots of love. Take care, Bruno. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, John. See you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How Might We podcast. If you want to find out more, please go to johnbarnes.me. On my website, you'll find plenty of information. And of course, I'd love your feedback. I love questions. I'd love suggestions to make the podcast better. Um, so get in touch with me by email. That's john, J-O-N, at fluxflux.am. Looking forward to being in touch. And thanks again for listening to this episode of the How Might We podcast. Bye.